Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with somebody from Policy Matters Ohio. That's a think tank that puts out a report every Labor Day about the state of working Ohio. Courtesy of 10TV, Tracy Townsend has updates on the bribery scandal at the State House, securing the vote during the upcoming election. Comments from Governor Mike DeWine about schools reporting coronavirus cases and a profile of a business owner near the Honda plant in Marysville. In about 40 minutes, I'll talk with the president of the American Federation of Teachers about schools resuming as the pandemic continues. And we'll wrap up the hour with comments from Governor Mike DeWine, who addressed rumors on the Internet that the government is setting up camps to quarantine people and separate kids from their families. First up on Columbus Perspective, I'm talking with Michael Shields, who's a researcher with Policy Matters Ohio. How are you? Doing well. Glad to be here, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, First, tell us about Policy Matters Ohio. What is it? Policy Matters Ohio is a a nonprofit uh, research and policy organization. Um, Our focus is on uh, doing the research and and, a bit of advocacy uh, to build a stronger, uh, more vibrant Ohio uh, where everybody can thrive. Okay. And fair to say that you lean left? Yes. Okay. And you're out with your annual State of Working Ohio uh, report. You do this every year. You've been doing it for many years, right? We have. Um, You know, this is the the first year that I've been the lead author. Um, And we do it every year, but this is a a very different year, um, as you may imagine, in light of uh, the the changes that COVID-19 has uh, caused in the labor market. What are some of the key findings that you've come up with and recommendations? Sure. Well, you know, let me start here. Uh, First, People make the economy, um, and the economy is only as strong as the people who make it work um, by buying and selling things, and most of all by working. Um, what we find is that today, Ohioans are really struggling. Um, we're grappling with the worst recession of our time alongside the worst pandemic in a century. Um, and so we're, we're seeing that play out in people's lives. Uh, we looked at household pulse data from the, the Census Bureau, um, and we find that about a quarter of Ohioans are turning to credit cards. Uh, to pay the basic cost of living. Um, Many Ohioans are drawing down savings or selling assets. People are borrowing from friends and family. Um, And and we see other indicators where um, people are are really facing extreme hardship. Uh, The the state Supreme Court has projected that we're going to face the the worst eviction crisis that we've ever seen. Um, And the the governor dispatched uh, 600 National Guard members to help the, uh, the Ohio food banks uh, sort and distribute food. So in, in many ways, people are, are really struggling. Um, and, and part of our data uh, show those things that are, are really uh, as, as current as we can. Um, in many ways, our report is also a look back. Um, and unfortunately, I have to report that, um, you know, after we, we've had a long uh, recovery, more than 10 years, in many ways, our, our policymakers have, have misspent that in ways that have not put many Ohioans on a very strong footing in order to, to weather this crisis. Yeah, I was going to say a running theme with Policy Matters Ohio over many years has been you've kind of looked at the the state's income tax situation as being upside down, favoring the rich and giving very little back in these lowering of the income tax rates to poorer people and also taking money away from schools and local governments. Well, that's right. And that's not been a core focus of this report, although it definitely comes through. You know, we, we have uh, we know that um, the the wealthiest Income earners in Ohio pay about half uh, as a share of their their total income, as do uh, the poorest uh, 20%. 
so that's that's definitely up down, upside down. One thing that um, that we also advocate for is having adequate tax revenues. Um, you know, having a tax strategy that cuts uh, public revenues and, and directs that to the wealthiest and, and to firms um, is not the most productive way to make sure that uh, that everyone in the state is able to thrive. It, 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 comes at the cost of needed infrastructure investments. It comes at the cost of schools. Um, so that's definitely one facet of the, the challenge that we face. Um, but in terms of, you know, we, we've seen a long recovery here, and, and we haven't seen workers really realizing the, the wage gains that would be commensurate with the, the income um, that they've brought to the state as a whole. Um, you know, before COVID-19 took a, a, a big bite out of our economy, Ohio workers were more productive than ever before. In 2019, um, workers in the state generated record wealth. We have not seen wages keep up with that. So just over the last, uh, since 1997, the state economy has grown by about 27%. Wages grew by less than a third of that. So we're, we're simply not seeing, even in a fundamental way, before we even get to the tax structure, um, we're not seeing the productivity gains translate into wage gains. And I think that that's a lot about how, uh, in, in many ways, we've, we've changed the rules of how the economy works in a, in a way that favors the wealthiest and favors firms at the expense of working people. Talking with Michael Shields, a researcher with Policy Matters Ohio, is this situation different than times in the past because of the dynamics of the pandemic? You know, you've got the restaurant industry and hotels, travel industry has been decimated by this, even worse than what a downturn in 08, 09 would have done. That's right. Yeah, you know, we're, we're seeing workers in three situations um, in the context of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we see workers who are on the front lines, they're at high risk of contracting COVID-19 at work. Um, and we really need to be taking steps to, to make sure that those folks have all the safeguards that, that are possible. Uh, we see a second group of workers who are uh, working at home or they're otherwise sheltered. Um, so they're relatively safe from the pandemic itself. And then we see a third group of folks who are unemployed. We had more than a million Ohioans um, put out of work by COVID-19 in the first few months of the pandemic. Um, by July, uh, half a million, about 495,000 Ohioans were still waiting to be called back to work. Um, so lots going on. And, and we've got a lot of data, actually, to talk about the unemployed situation. Does it seem like, uh, you know, is, is a recovery going to be more fragmented than usual because of all the uncertainty and because of the damage that's been done? worse in some areas than others? Yeah, so um, we, we did see um, a different group of folks um, sent home from work in, in this crisis than what is typical. Um, and in fact, we've, we've actually seen that reflected in, in who is unemployed um, in, in this crisis. We saw big uh, spikes in women uh, filing for unemployment claims. Uh, they make up the majority of the leisure and hospitality sector. We've got a lot of waitresses and waiters um, sent home in this pandemic. Uh, that sector saw unemployment numbers about three times its, its level based on its share of the, the whole workforce. Um, so it's definitely different in that respect. But I, I also think we're seeing, uh, just in terms of the, the overall labor force, we're seeing the dynamic we're in. You know, we, we saw over a million Ohioans sent home from work. Many were called back very quickly after Governor DeWine's stay-at-home order was lifted. So we know those folks were likely just complying with the, the public health order um, that, that, you know, of course was needed to, to keep everybody safe. What we're seeing now is we, we continue to, to see some jobs recovery, but it has slowed down significantly. Um, and I think that that 
could raise some concerns that we may be faced with a, a pretty long recession. You know, folks who didn't get called back right away and, and are still waiting likely have employers who've uh, who've taken a hit to their revenues. Either, of course, um, you know, private sector employers, but we also have seen. Um, cuts to, to local governments, dramatic cuts. So we, we could end up with a, a much longer recovery bringing those folks back to work. And that's really going to depend very heavily on how deeply we're willing to commit public resources. We need substantial fiscal stimulus. Um, and, and this, given the scope of this crisis, it really needs to come at the federal level. Michael Shields from Policy Matters Ohio. Governor Mike DeWine has, uh, it seems, been more at odds with folks in his own party than with Democrats on how he's guided Ohio through the pandemic. What is your take on it? Well, um, you know, I think in terms of workplace safety, um, Ohio has issued some good guidelines. Um, I would like to see stepped up enforcement. You know, I, I think uh, Ohio does not unfortunately have the enforcement capacity that we would need to make sure that um, employers are actually complying with some social distancing guidelines and, and um, mandates that are actually pretty good. You know, one thing that, uh, that we could do is uh, to implement uh, something like L.A. County has done where uh, they've certified workers' councils and, and labor unions uh, to do workplace safety monitoring within their own workplaces. You know, the governor has uh, issued some really good mandates and some good guidelines on top of those, um, but has, has basically said, you know, we're going to trust employers to comply with these. Unfortunately, we know during the stay-at-home order, uh, just, just as one example, Cuyahoga County got some 1,500 complaints of employers not complying with uh, that order, which is very cut and dried, very straightforward. We know that there are some employers who are not going to comply on their own. Uh, we need the enforcement. We also need supports to make sure that people can comply. We need to, to make sure that if folks are uh, staying at home or should be sent home, uh, that they have paid sick leave uh, if they're sick. Um, and folks who are at really high risk should be eligible to retain their unemployment compensation if, if they can't return to work. That is one thing that uh, the state has affirmed, ODJFS has said, um, that, that yes, folks will retain their unemployment comp. So that's, that's a good thing that, that uh, the state has done. You mentioned in your report that a lot of people still haven't recovered from the uh, recession that happened better than 10 years ago. I, I guess that's going to be a concern for this one as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, 45% of all of the uh, new wealth generated from the, the last uh, recovery uh, went to the very wealthiest, um, top 1%. So, you know, that, that's something that we really need to, to work to overcome uh, this time. We really need to reset um, you know, this is, is going to be a hard recession for, for many folks, but we need to take this opportunity to, to recognize that um, you know, we, we have an opportunity and, and, and we must uh, make sure that everybody can thrive uh, going forward out of this. You know, it's interesting because if you drive past a big shopping plaza where there are 10 little stores next to each other that are all locally owned uh, franchises or, you know, whatever they are, you just wonder how any of them are even able to make it in a situation like this, no matter what their business is, when most people are still staying at home a good majority of the time. That's right. Well, and, you know, I think the other um, concern, too, is we need to make sure that people have uh, the resources that they need to, to be uh, covering the cost of living. We talked earlier about how people are really stretching, people are borrowing. Um, one thing that we really need to, to see back in place is the $600 a week um, unemployment uh, supplement that the, the federal government was paying uh, to folks who've been just place from work. We've got to make sure that when people are out of work, we know we've still got half a million Ohioans who are, um, that their spending is going to continue
continue. That's uh, that's a vital lifeline for those folks, um, of course, individually, uh, but that's also going to provide the revenues that businesses need so that they can, uh, you know, continue through this crisis. Talking with Michael Shields, a researcher with Policy Matters Ohio. I also wanted to ask you, you've uh, long advocated $15 an hour for workers as a minimum wage, and, you know, we're getting into a, uh, a period here where deliveries, groceries, Amazon, all these food delivery companies with restaurants, and they all rely on tips when they deliver the product. And if you do grocery shopping through Amazon and they bring your groceries to your door, it's suggested that you give a tip. And this is a company that's run by the richest man in the world. That just seems kind of odd. Yeah, well, you know, and there are a lot of things wrapped up in what you said there. Um, we did uh, look at a uh, $15 minimum wage, uh, what that would do for Ohio when uh, it was proposed as legislation. Of course, federally, um, the House of Representatives has passed a, a $15 minimum wage. It's not passed the Senate. Um, we found that if we were to, to see a, a $15 wage in place in Ohio, that that would benefit 2 million Ohio workers. Um, so that's a, a really substantial number of folks. We know that the value of the minimum wage in real terms has gone down um, over two generations. Its high water mark was back in 1968. That year, uh, when you account for inflation, it was worth more than $12 an hour today. So um, not only have Ohio's minimum wage workers not seen any of the growth uh, that their work uh, helped to make possible, but they've actually gone backward. Um, so for sure, we, we need a reset on that. Um, the tip minimum wage is, is only half of the regular minimum wage, and, and that really creates a lot of vulnerability for folks. Um, and then also, a lot of these delivery uh, drivers do not have formal employment relationships with the company that's actually providing their uh, their work. So, you know, that's that's one way that firms have really shed a lot of the, the traditional responsibilities that they would have to workers, including to pay the minimum wage, uh, to pay overtime, um, to, to make sure that uh, those workers have uh, workers' compensation if they get hurt. Uh, there's a whole host of workforce protections that go away um, when someone is classified as a contractor uh, rather than as uh, a worker. So that's, um, that's something that uh, I think we want to look at as well. And that seems like uh, a trend that might spread into other areas with more people working from home and office settings as well. You're going to have people maybe whose jobs are going to be broken into positions like consultants instead of regular employees, which will make them an independent contractor. Yeah, and you know, that's not something that we, we delved into in, in the scope of this report, but I do think that it is cause for concern. Um, you know, on, on one hand, um, folks who are, are able to, to do their jobs from home have a modicum of safety, and um, of course, that's that's a good thing um, in, in the context of this pandemic. But, uh, you know, there, there are some other challenges that, that crop up with that. You mentioned one. Um, one thing that we looked at is there are added uh, child caregiving responsibilities. Um, you know, many children are, are doing school uh, online. Um, so workers who are at home um, are also juggling that. And, and we know that, uh, you know, that work, that unpaid uh, care work falls disproportionately on women. Um, so we're, we're seeing um, potential long-term career disruptions for them. And one thing that we're seeing uh, in, in terms of this um, recession that's unusual for recessions is we've actually seen a widening of uh, the, the wage gap. The National Bureau of Economic Research looked at that and found a, a spread of the wage gap of five points. Uh, usually recessions narrow that gap. So we, we could see um, some of the progress. Women have made substantial progress in terms of wage 
gains over the last 40 years, um, we could see some of that setback as well. When we finally pull out of this, there's going to be years of study about what happened and how it was dealt with, it seems like. I think that's right. It's, it's unbelievable. Talking with Michael Shields, a researcher with Policy Matters Ohio. Anything else you want to add? So many Ohioans never recover from the last recession. Uh, we can't let that happen again. Uh, Ohio leaders can unrig our economy and build the kind of state that recognizes the dignity of work and affirms the value of all Ohioans. Um, in order to get through this crisis and thrive, Ohioans really need policymakers to put them, not corporations, first. Um, I think with that commitment, Ohioans can build a stronger uh, future where, where everybody can thrive. Your uh, State of Working Ohio 2020 report, newly released, is available. Where can folks find it, Michael? At uh, policymattersohio.org. Okay, Michael Shields, again, he's a researcher for Policy Matters Ohio. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhpp.org. Everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. Former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder pleads not guilty to corruption charges just two days after showing up for work. And we're less than two months away from Election Day. See what changes are happening to make sure you can vote by mail or in person. And we do thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning. I'm Tracy Townsend. It's been six months since Ohio reported its first case of COVID-19. But maybe for you, it's felt like six years. Even so, the battle is far from over. Here's a look at the latest county alert map from the Ohio Department of Health. Franklin County and the surrounding counties are still at level two. That means there is an increased risk of exposure and spread. There's concern this map will drastically change following the long holiday weekend if people don't make smart choices. And the governor says he gives Ohioans a grade of A, when it comes to slowing the spread of COVID-19, but says we are still not doing enough. 10 TV's Kevin Lander sat down with the governor to talk about Ohio's strategy to fight the virus. You know, I think the biggest thing we're not doing enough of is, is staying away from parties and staying away from social occasions with friends and family. Governor Mike DeWine is urging Ohioans not to give up the fight against the virus. We're seeing the spread come about by people just letting their guard down. 
Ohio is approaching the six-month battle against COVID, a virus that has changed how we live. The governor says he's not about to let the virus overrun the state again. What is the option? The option is to give up. I don't think Ohioans are quitters. I've met too many Ohioans that are quitters. But that's the option. We either fight back and and do things to keep this from spreading uh, or we give up and just let it take us over. And I think that would be ridiculous, and I think it's not in the best interest of, of our kids or our family members or anybody else. And I think it's a, it's the chicken way out. I asked the governor, what is the state's strategy going forward? At what point do we lift the health emergency? When the medical experts tell us, hey, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Medical experts tell us, hey, don't worry uh, about that. So we're going to have to live with this, Kevin. We're going to have to live with this. And, and this is not something that any of us want to hear. But we're going to have to live with this until there is uh, a shot that we can take, a vaccine that we can take. And we don't know, frankly, how long that's going to be. The governor says he's concerned about the increased positivity rate on college campuses, but colleges have told him they can control it. You're going to have to uh, you know, refrain from these big parties. And if you don't do it, you're not going to be able to be in school. As for his sports orders involving tournaments, the governor says removing it doesn't make sense. You know, there's nobody in the health community that thinks that makes any sense. But we're always open to, to revisiting this. At the State House, Kevin Landers, 10TV News. The governor also said stopping alcohol sales at 10 at night at bars and restaurants is making a difference. And he says Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther has encouraged him to maintain that order. Now, in the face of the pandemic and praise from many, there are some who say Governor DeWine must go. Four state representatives from the more conservative wing of DeWine's own Republican Party signed on to 10 articles of impeachment, accusing him of inflicting unbearable pain through his response to the coronavirus pandemic. Notably, they are attacking his actions on the economy, which involves shutting most of the state down before putting several reopening guidelines into place in an effort to curb the spread of the illness. State Rep. John Becker, who's from Union Township in Claremont County, drafted the 10 articles of impeachment, a move he says is more than about making a point. It's newsworthy and noteworthy in academic circles. I talked with Dr. Brianna Mack, a professor of politics and government at Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware, Ohio. Usually when you think about impeachment, you think about it with the president. Like you don't think about state officials being impeached. Usually when it's taught about like if you want to remove state officials, you would hold a recall election or a referendum and you know, and the people kick the elected official out. I think regardless of wherever you are on the you know political spectrum, if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, or whatever, you have to give the governor his kudos. You have to give him his just due because he was one of the leading you know state officials across the nation that went in and you know shut everything down in an effort to limit the spread of the uh, coronavirus. And so with that in mind, the way that he is looking towards this small group, this minority defiantly and saying, I, you know, when the history looks back at this, I know I was on the right side of history. A large part of the electorate, hopefully, will look at it and say, yes, Governor DeWine, you were on the right side of history. Larry Householder has officially pleaded not guilty to a federal racketeering charge in a $60 million bribery scheme. He was arraigned in federal court after being arrested in July. Householder and four others are charged in this case, and if convicted, they could face up to 20 years in prison. 
All four co-defendants have also pleaded not guilty in the case. Now, days before his arraignment, householder showed up at the state house. It was the first time he returned to work since his arrest. As 10TV's Angela Raggard reports, some of his colleagues are not okay with his appearance. Speaker Bob Cup called his predecessor's return to House chambers offensive, making it clear he wants Representative Larry Householder to step down. But the former speaker did not seem phased. Oh, it's great. It's, it's great to be here. His colleagues ousted him as speaker, but have yet to remove him from his seat in the state legislature. I wouldn't say it's embarrassing by any stretch of the imagination. I feel, I feel good about what I've done and what I've done uh, to protect the people of the state of Ohio and the legislation that we move forward. Right now, Householder faces federal charges. He and four others are accused of accepting bribe payments in exchange for the passage of House Bill 6, which bailed out two Ohio nuclear power plants. I mean, I'm, I'm innocent. I'm going to plead not guilty, and we're going we're gonna to defend ourselves uh, vigorously. And uh, as far as House Bill 6 is concerned, it's good legislation. Um, I'd hate to see us repeal it. But that's exactly what lawmakers are discussing, though Democrats and Republicans don't seem to be on the same page. We've had this bill um, sitting in committee for over 30 days, um, and so at some point we have to press the issue. Just having a huge amendment to repeal it in a hasty way over Florida Day um, is totally inappropriate. Speaker Cup says a new committee will hold hearings on House Bill 6. When asked if it would be repealed and replaced before the election, the speaker said they will move expeditiously. Now, many people were wondering, was Larry Householder even allowed to be there at the State House? We know as part of his bond, he's not supposed to have any communication with any potential witnesses in the case. Of course, we know lawmakers could be potential witnesses. But when we asked the U.S. attorney about this, he seemed to be okay with it because while Larry Householder holds his seat in the state legislature, he has a reason to be there. I'm Angela Rygard. Back to you. The committee has been formed to lead the effort to repeal and replace House Bill 6. Now, the panel is made up of eight Republicans and six Democrats. House Bill 6 was approved last year to help pay for two Ohio nuclear power plants. It's also directly involved in the scandal, as you heard, that led to the arrest of former House Speaker Larry Householder. We asked Senate President Larry Obhoff whether he supports the repeal of House Bill 6. I favor straight repeal and, um, frankly, I'm not sure how much discussion you really need to have to discuss that, but, uh, but there are economic effects of doing that. Most of the regular poll workers will be out of the mix this year. There's a big push to get younger volunteers for Election Day. Up next, see what role barbershops and salons will play in that effort. And Facebook is taking a stand against misinformation during this election season when CEO Mark Zuckerberg plans to ban political ads from the social media platform. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Our connections make powerful things happen uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. And together, we turn great ideas into reality by accessing our networks, our experience, and the best of ourselves to make a difference. 
Around the world, Rotary brings leaders together to build new friendships and to solve problems. Like in Austria, where generations work side by side to build sustainable housing and community centers. In India, volunteers run a mobile blood bank to help provide a steady blood supply for their local community. And in Taiwan, people are working hard to get vulnerable citizens the support and services they need. With over one million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org slash action. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Barbers across Ohio are joining the effort to get every Ohioan registered to vote. This week, Secretary LaRose announced a new initiative where barbershops and beauty salons help get people registered to vote, help them get their absentee ballot requests in, and even sign people up to be poll workers. We need poll workers all over the state, 35,000 of them, to do this important job. And it's important that Ohio's poll workers reflect the diversity of our state. And so when people come into a neighborhood polling location, they should be greeted by one of their neighbors. To truly get this message out about the need for poll workers, there is an online tracker. You can see how many poll workers are still needed. You can find that tracker at pollworkertracker.ohiosos.gov. LaRose says there are over 7 million absentee ballots being mailed out. He says the sooner Ohioans get them mailed in, the better it will be for the postal workers who are likely to be overwhelmed as the election gets closer. Now, the city of Columbus is pushing to make more ballot drop boxes available to you. The city attorney filed a legal brief against the secretary of state. That's because county boards of elections are only allowed to have one drop box location per county. Columbus's city attorney says there should be more than that. A spokesperson for the secretary tells us in part, Secretary Frank LaRose has been and continues to be supportive of legislation that permits additional options for voters. Facebook announced new plans to stop misinformation during the election. The tech giant will prohibit new political ads in that week before the election. You'll also see directions on voting by mail at the top of your Facebook and Instagram pages. If information is false or misleading... Facebook will add context to it. That includes posts from the president. CEO Mark Zuckerberg spoke with CBS this morning. So how are you handling the president of the United States to let let him know and let people who are using your platform that this is misinformation, is it not? I certainly think that anyone who's saying that the election is going to be fraudulent um, I think that's problematic. And I think additional context needs to be added to that. This is not just anyone. 
It's not just a regular Joe, it's a president of the That's United correct. States, yes. This will definitely apply to the president um, once this uh, policy goes into place. The Verify team is here to fact check the suspicious posts you see online. That's because a headline often doesn't tell the whole story. It could be misleading, taken out of context, or in some cases, even worse. Maybe you saw this post online, reading, Pelosi wants to remove votes from soldiers overseas. They don't even live here. So let's verify. Did the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, really say this? We started by tracking down the source of the headline. It was published on americaslastlineofdefense.com, which self-identifies as a site doing satire for your confirmation bias. Writing in its About Us page, quote, everything on this website is fiction. It is not a lie and it's not fake news because it's not real. If you believe that it is real, you should have your head examined. And yet we should note that this viral post led to hundreds of comments from people expressing their outrage. Satire or not, it's been accepted as truth by many online. And that's why it's so important that we check a source before we hit share. So we can verify that this is false. The headline is from a satire website and Nancy Pelosi did not say this. With your verify, this is Evan Kozlov. While scientists work toward a vaccine, we are going to continue to track the number of positive COVID-19 cases in Ohio. But there is some concern about whether that data accurately reflects what's happening in the state. It's a question 10TV News reporter Kevin Landers asked Governor Mike DeWine. Kevin is at the State House with the governor's response. At issue was what's called the PCR test, considered by Ohio as the gold standard for detecting COVID-19. However, there are questions about whether these positive tests really mean what they say. For the first time, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine admitted that the most widely used test in Ohio to detect COVID-19 is telling people they are positive, even though they are not contagious. Doesn't mean the PCR tests are not accurate. They're highly accurate. But sometimes they're not giving, they're showing someone that is still have, have, has a virus uh, or has cells, but is not um, maybe still contagious. Now the concern becomes, what do Ohio's positive test results really mean? Are Ohio's positive case numbers showing both people who are contagious and those who are not? Is that an accurate picture? PCR test is the gold standard, uh, but, some, it, but it's so good. <laughs> that uh, sometimes it is picking up, you know, a small amount uh, of the virus load uh, and long after that person is contagious. The governor said this should not result in less testing, but testing more people more often to get an accurate picture of when they are contagious and perhaps reduce the number of people who are being told to quarantine. As we refine this, you know, using those tests, which will tell you where that virus load is, and then being able to see if it is within the range of where the experts say that person is contagious is going to allow us uh, to have fewer people who have to be quarantined. Health experts say it's the amount of virus that should dictate the infected person's next step. Governor DeWine says he's asked his team to look into the PCR testing to ensure he's getting the right results. Reporting from the State House, Kevin Landers, 10TV News. The governor signed an order to lay down some ground rules for reporting COVID-19 cases in schools. Under the order, parents must notify the schools within 24 hours if a child tests positive. And then the school has 24 hours to let the other parents know. Schools must get that information to the state. The state will put the data on the state's coronavirus website. It's going to be broken down by school, students and staff every Thursday. We understand that there is always this balance between right to know 
uh, and privacy. Uh, we do not intend for protected health information to be released in our efforts to provide information to Ohioans, uh, but that information is releasing as much as we can is very important. There's a new push from the top to make Ohio's roads safer and crack down on distracted driving. It's an issue close to our hearts here at 10TV. Distracted driving has not slowed down at all because of COVID-19, and the numbers are there to prove it. Governor DeWine talked about the carnage we're seeing on Ohio's roadways, and much of it can be blamed, he says, on distracted driving. The state has done something to combat it, like distracted driving corridors that zero in on those who are driving with some distractions. And July was simply a terrible and tragic month on Ohio roadways with a total of 154 people killed in car crashes. That is the deadliest month on Ohio's roadways since the year 2007. And in a third of those deaths, speed also played a factor. Distracted driving has essentially become an epidemic in Ohio and across the country. Crashes remain the leading killer of our children and really among all age groups. It's the third leading killer behind heart disease and cancer. It is a significant problem that we face and one that uh, we need to have uh, the support of the General Assembly to obviously get our arms around that. Lawmakers introduced a hands-free bill in February to get tougher on the use of electronic devices while driving. That legislation is pending. Governor Mike DeWine asked the General Assembly to move on that bill, saying it's going to save lives. And then this past week, the governor announced the creation of the Ohio Traffic Safety Council. It will monitor statewide traffic safety initiatives and will submit recommendations to the governor on strategies to make the roads safer. We are taking a tour across Ohio and getting a better understanding of each and every county. With a pandemic and protests, these are challenging yet historic times. And we want to hear perspectives from as many Ohioans as possible. Today, we are traveling to Logan and Union counties, where one particular automaker drives many livelihoods. If something would happen to Honda, I think that this could become a ghost town, don't you? Originally, when we shut down, everybody was uncertain how long it's going to be. Honda is very important to this region for places like this, Ramsey's, which Honda's just up the road. I can't tell you how many times we get just a ginormous orders for Honda. My father used to work for Honda. He did. He worked 39 years, and he. They always talk about there needs to be something closer to here. There just needs to be like a gas station or or drive through or something closer to us. So this place, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's a gold mine. He said you're the owner. I'm Steve Ramsey, owner of uh, Ramsey's Pizza and Pub. I always wanted a 10 ceiling building's got 4,500 different cans, all different displayed. You walk in the door, I want you, you know, I like to see the look on people's face. Well, first they come in and they, they shut us down for 10 weeks. Two days before St. Patty's Day, four days before the NCAA tournaments, we didn't lay off anybody. We have 33 employees that, that I have paid the entire time. We didn't lay off any of our employees. We kept them on. We gave them other responsibilities. I take some of them, put them in the pool business. They work in our retail store. They work the drive-through. As far as like giving people $600 to stay at home every week, it doesn't make any sense to me. Get rid of, of the incentive to stay home. Now you're giving them this free money. They're not going to even try to find a job. We've got the help wanted sign. It says now hiring. That sign's been out there for months. 
How, where are they at? They're not lining up. There's 30 million people that are asking for a job or, or at least unemployed. They're not coming here. There's plenty of people that can work, but they're not going to work if they're going to be given the money to sit at home. How come all these other people have to be in here every day? They could do the same thing. They could suck up unemployment. They could take this free money. Steve will find, he will find anything for you to do, basically, in order for you to continue to work and make money. I have no intention of not doing it. These people came and asked for a job. I guaranteed him a job. He knows we all have families, and he has a family, and we're all here to take care of our families, so he wants to make sure we're able to do that. We'll continue to hear many perspectives from Ohio counties throughout the coming weeks, so we hope you'll join us for that. We do thank you for being with us here today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, with her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Randy Weingarten, who's the president of the American Federation of Teachers. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. It's 9-11, which is, you know, the last before COVID, the last major crisis that affected the United States. And it reminds me today of just how different our response was to 9-11, where we had... um, you know, under 4,000 deaths, um, all of whom we've loved and lost, and now where we've had 193,000 deaths, and how the United States government, two Republican presidents, have treated it, these crises completely different. One, focusing and addressing it and trying to keep people safe, and the other downplaying it. And your concern, of course... Sorry. (laughs) uh, Your concern, of course, uh, deals with the safety of teachers as uh, classes resume. Tell us about the American Federation of Teachers. So we are a 1.7 million member uh, labor union with tens of thousands of members in Ohio, both nurses as well as educators. And and, uh, we are concerned that as we reopen um, schools for our kids, um, if school buildings are reopened, and, and, and most of us want to get back to teaching in school buildings because we know that in-person is better than remote, but it has to be safe. And so as, um, um, and, and so, you know, the urban, most of the urban um, cities in Ohio because of the state of COVID in Ohio and because of the lack of resources, we'll be starting um, in remote learning. Um, in some of the suburban districts, there is a mixture of hybrid. And in some of the rural districts, um, there's, um, you know, uh, people have come back fully. But what I've seen more and more and more is that we have a tale of two countries, one that actually denies the virus and one that actually understood that the virus is a public health problem and um, we need to address it and to, and to try to mitigate its spread 
and to prevent its spread in schools um, as our first priority, and then to stand up the kind of education we need to do in the middle of a pandemic to our kids and, and make remote learning as best as we can. I would imagine that this is about as stressful an environment that teachers have ever faced. Yes. That's why on a day like today, 9-11, where um, when it happened, I was the president of the local in New York City, and we watched the plane um, from Brooklyn go into the towers. You just, on a day like today, you see the huge difference leadership can play. Um, leadership that then, you know, whether, you know, confronted that crisis, brought the country together, also Republican leadership, and leadership today that, um, that has now admitted to downplaying the virus and to lying to the American people and not arraying a kind of protection that's needed to, to, to make people safe. And so it, that makes things more stressful. You know, if, 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 if you, any public health expert would tell you that the first thing you need in a crisis like this is honesty, transparency, so that people can make their own decisions about what to do. And then when it comes to schools, it's clear what the science says about how you reopen them. And, 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 and we don't have the resources throughout America to make that happen um, even when you have a really low positivity rate. And, and that's why you have so many schools and districts in Ohio that have started remotely. Talking with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. Now, here in Ohio, some of the e-schools are seeing a, a pretty dramatic increase in attendance as parents opt to have their kids enrolled there. One is up 24 percent, another one better than 30 percent. Does this have you concerned about the the future of traditional schools? Um, it actually, you know, if, if, that, if that had happened in normal times, the answer is yes. What this is basically telling you is that parents are trying to figure out structure any place they can and anywhere they can. And the, the, um, and, and so the um, virtual schools, you know, have had years um, prior to um, the uh, public schools to, you know, understand virtual education. But what we know is that the virtual schools do a lousy job. And in fact, what has just happened in Miami-Dade is they adopted the K-12 Inc. Um, uh, curriculum, um, and they just threw out, after spending $15 million on it, which they don't have, they just canceled the contract because it was so um, horrible in the first few days of remote education in Miami-Dade, one of the largest school districts in America. So what's happened is that, you know, the school, the, the other, the, the, the public school districts have had to kind of figure this out on its own. And I would actually just lift up Cleveland, where our local and superintendent have worked together on a plan that first made safety priority number one. And then they're working together right now in terms of making sure that there is a structure and a routine in terms of remote education. Same is true in terms of our local in, um, in L.A., um, and so what parents are looking for, and I, you know, and I, and is that 
They want to make sure there's a routine for their kids. They want to make sure that there's a curriculum for their kids. And But we know that ECOT and K-12 Inc. have done a terrible job. And, um, and, and, and they've spent a lot of money this summer advertising for, um, you know, for kids. And so I'm not surprised that parents would opt there in the first instance. But ultimately, what parents, you know, over and over and over again, what we hear anecdotally, and we're now, you know, in the, poll, in the field again, you know, polling parents and polling our members. But what we know from people anecdotally all across the country, that's why you've had this kind of, um, this, that's why we and others have tried to actually open tools since April, is that in-school learning, building those relationships, that, that the um, uh, recreating um, uh, the, the socialization that happens um, is really important for kids. And, and that's why um, I believe that, that when we, if we can get the resources together, if the positivity rate is low, if we can actually make sure we create safe physical schools um, with all of the safeguards, including masks and the physical distancing, and have testing as a detection measure, um, that you will see this year, and particularly after the virus goes, we hope, with a vaccine, that, um, that, that there will be for public education. You mentioned Cleveland's school administrators, and I was curious, uh, you know, superintendents are having to balance communication with county health departments, teachers, the public, which is highly divided over some of these issues. What is all this doing to relationships between teacher unions and uh, administrators? Well, uh, you know, it's, I lift up Cleveland because, well, let me take a step back, which is in the middle of a pandemic, the most important way that we um, engender trust of the public is when everyone is singing from the same pivotal. When you see transparency and you see people that don't always work together, working together, that gives the public, it gives teachers, gives others confidence that nothing's being hidden from them, people are being honest with them, and people are working together. That's a really important sign of leadership, and that kind of leadership creates trust. And that's what's happening in Cleveland, where there is, despite everything else that's going on outside, including the politicization of this public health crisis, um, the Cleveland superintendent and the Cleveland leader of our union are really, really working together. And that sends a, a message to parents and to teachers and to kids that those two adults or, and those two institutions are really trying to keep people safe. And just like in Ohio, um, and, you know, and, and we see this all across the country, uh, Governor DeWine is someone who has really tried to see the virus for what it is and has tried to fight it. Um, but he's one of the few Republican governors who has done that and, you know, he's gotten a lot of pressure from his party nationally um, because he put the people of Ohio and the public health issues first over Donald Trump's politics. 
and and um, you see, unfortunately, this tail of, of two countries because this virus has been politicized instead of actually fought. Talking with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, where can folks find out more online about your organization? So two things. One, you know, all the safety reports that I just talked about going back to April are on our website. Anyone can get it. You don't have to be a member. Just go to AFT.org. But the second, and this is for parents and educators and our students, we have a website called Share My Lessons. It's free for everyone. We've made it free for everyone. You don't have to be a member, but we really have stood up all sorts of things to help in education, in learning, particularly in remote learning. And please, if you if you want some tricks of the trade, some ideas for how to engage kids, um, if you're a parent, we have that information on sharemylesson.com and just um, use anything you want, download anything you want. It's free for everyone. Randy Weingarten with the American Federation of Teachers. Uh, Thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Thank you. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. This week during one of Governor Mike DeWine's coronavirus updates, he decided to address rumors that are appearing on the Internet. Here's about six minutes of his comments addressing those rumors. I'm going to talk about um, a rumor. I don't spend much time talking about rumors that are on the Internet because uh, we wouldn't get much done uh, if, if we did that all the time. But this one, I've gotten so many calls in, over the weekend uh, that I thought we would just have to uh, deal with it today. This is, comes in the category of uh, crazy, ridiculous Internet rumors, but... Uh, obviously, some people are reading it, and so I want to clarify it. Uh, clarify it. Um, I want to clear up any confusion about the latest non-congregate sheltering order that is getting all of this attention. <clears throat> to understand it, we have to go back to March 13th, when President Trump declared a national emergency for coronavirus. Uh, following that, on March 20th, the state of Ohio and FEMA, uh, Trump administration, FEMA entered into an agreement authorizing Ohio to apply for emergency protecting measures, including non-congregate sheltering. In other words, the federal government would help us pay for that if that was needed. Uh, On March 31st, uh, President Trump approved a major disaster declaration for Ohio. On that day, the Ohio Department of Health issued an order to comply with the federal government, what they ask us to do, that approved non-congregate sheltering for people who were unable to safely self-quarantine in their place of residence. The order provided that sheltering in non-congregate shelters, in other words, shelters where there weren't a bunch of people, but single places, should be determined by the local health officials and based on individuals' needs. Uh, This applies to people who may not be able to isolate their homes or those who are living in shelters, for example. Um, now, make it very clear, this order does not create FEMA camps uh, to force anyone to quarantine against their will, as been reported on the Internet. Uh, the order was first issued March 31st. It was renewed on April 29th, same order, and again on August 31st. This order creates a funding mechanism to allow for federal reimbursement for those looking to create places for people to safely isolate or quarantine Uh, has been used in a few cases in Ohio and actually has not been used very often Uh, but in each one of these cases 
We were taking this authorization from the federal government, the agreement with the federal government, and being able to provide um, space for individuals to use when they needed it. For example, uh, first responders. Let's say there's a, a health professional uh, and they are working and they do not want to go home. Let's assume maybe at their home is someone who is, has a health compromise. Uh, they're working in a COVID um, area of the hospital, uh, helping COVID patients, and they say, look, I don't want to go do that. This provides them a place, a hotel maybe, uh, to go, a hotel room so that they can go, and the federal government will, will pay for that. So that is, that is the type uh, situation that this was created for. Uh, again, um, it just create the order, our order really creates just a funding mechanism to allow this to happen. Uh, I am aware there, there are rumors on the internet uh, that incorrectly claim these orders allow children to be separated from their parents without permission. Let me just say, this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it is not true, there is no intention anyone has to separate children. Uh, but somehow this has been reported on, on the internet. No truth to the rumors uh, at all. Uh, families will not be separated. Children will not be taken away from their loved ones. And so um, having quarantine housing options gives people the choice when they need it of a safe, comfortable place to recover from the virus or as in the case of our um, health folks, it gives them a place to shelter, gives them a place to be so that they don't have to go home and possibly take that to their family. Again, that's their own, their own individual choice. So the bottom line, neither President Trump's FEMA nor the Ohio Department of Health are going to set up FEMA cap camps for anyone to quarantine against their will. Uh, what we are doing is making available safe place for people to stay when they have loved ones that they're trying to protect and they have no other, no other place to go. The governor was asked about state representatives in Ohio who are allowing comments on their Facebook pages that fuel these rumors. Well, look, thank you for the question. There's 132 members of the General Assembly uh, have various, uh, you know, ideas and, you know, we work with them and have a with the vast, vast majority of them have a very good uh, working relationship and good friendly relationship. Um, I, look, I mean, I, I just, I think that there are rumors out there and uh, we all like the internet, we all use the internet, we all kind of like the modern world that we live in, but we, we all have to, I think, um, admit uh, that there are some downsides to, to the internet. And, you know, there is no uh, editing, there is no, people can, publish anything they, they want to. And uh, in this particular case, they took two set of facts uh, that had nothing really to do with each other. They put those two together and came up with a conspiracy theory. And, uh, you know, we, we're not going to have any uh, uh, FEMA camps. Uh, we're not going to compel children to do anything. We're not going to separate children from their family members. Uh, you know, that's certainly the last thing that I ever would want to do. Uh, so it's just it's just kind of sad to me that there are people out there who take a rumor like that, put a few f facts together that are unrelated to each other, come up with some conspiracy theory, and then put it out there. And I can tell people are listening to it because of the emails I get or the calls that, that I get. So I just decided today to try to knock, at least knock this one down and uh, just say, look, this is 
There's just absolutely no truth in this. There's no substance behind it. It's just garbage. Governor Mike DeWine from one of his coronavirus update press conferences earlier this week in which he decided to take time out to address rumors on the Internet. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.